You can trust God. It's a good place to start as we gather at the start of the week to to live from that place, to remind ourselves of a story that uh, is about life overcoming death and how we're drawn into it. And uh, we are in episode four of uh, our series on Colossians. That sounds more like a podcast than it does a sermon. Uh, But we are looking into those themes of uh, the ability to trust God and walk out of that trust as uh, the book of Colossians really just keeps pounding that idea. We uh, our series is called Christ in You, the Hope of Glory. Talk about setting the expectations high uh, for Christ's work in us, leading to a perspective of hope, and that hope being the fullness of life that we find in Christ. Uh, we have been saying that Colossians is about the cosmic enoughness of Jesus and seems convinced, one, that, that's, that, that, that Christ is sufficient, that it's, that it's enough, that he's enough. Uh, But more importantly, Colossians is absolutely convinced that it matters that you believe that. It matters that you're able to live out of it, walk into it, live from that place of sufficiency rather than abundance, uh, uh, sufficiency and abundance rather than anxiety and lack. And so today, as we come to week four in the series, we're going to back up a little bit and ask an important question that we've uh, basically kind of skirted around up to this point. And that question might seem like an obvious one, which is, why write the letter in the first place? What's the purpose behind this? And what are are we maybe speaking to in the context? Or what what is the letter pushing against? And, you know, part of the thinking here is we've made the case for the cosmic enoughness of Jesus. But Colossians is so about that. So so it just keeps hitting that again and again and again. And we hear it today in the scripture read read this morning. That the, the case is so compelling that there must be a reason that people aren't, maybe aren't, aren't able to, to, to believe that, aren't able to live into that. There, there has to be maybe something we're pushing it against, and we're going to see that. Now, a few things as we think about that question. Why is the letter written in the first place? Uh, we know that this was written by Paul or somebody who is living in the tradition of Paul, uh, and it, uh, it also mentions Timothy in there, which is pretty common in the, the letters that Paul writes, and we know that Paul has written a lot of letters, uh, and a good portion of the New Testament is that letters written to churches for some reason. And I saw recently where somebody had kind of summarized how those letters tend to go. So I want to put this on the screen. So yeah, general, general typical outline. Grace to you, welcome. I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. For the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. Timothy says hi. Not, now, not all of the letters are like that, but that is a pretty typical Paul, Pauline letter. Um. And that makes sense, right? So the reason for writing the letters that, uh, you know, for, for a lot of those uh, books in the Bible, that people are being stupid. For the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. That seems like a compelling reason. And that, 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 those are, that, that would be obvious. But Colossians doesn't seem to have that. This is what makes it a little bit of a mystery for us. In fact, in what we heard today, we read uh, Paul's really encouraging them to continue on the path that they're on. They're not doing something wrong. They just need more of of where they are and encourage them to continue to stand firm because apparently they are. Continue to grow into maturity and fullness because they're they're on that path. They seem to be doing okay. 
And that actually is part of the reason why we've chosen Colossians to talk about now, because it would be easy to do okay. But as we've seen, Colossians is about more than okay. It is about the cosmic enoughness of Jesus. And it would be easy for people like us to get close to that, but not maybe live into the full possibility of it. It would be easy to try to figure out where Jesus fits in the mix and, and, and do all right. And that, we think, is probably the context. The Colossians, um, as we've said, are this group of people, a small group, perhaps. In the middle of nowhere, Colossia was, Colossia was not necessarily a happening place. And so all the more, uh, as we hear this compelling case for the cosmic enoughness of Jesus, it seems important that even just a few people in the middle of nowhere get it and then live out of it, rather than being kind of pulled to the side or, or uh, distracted in some way. And, uh, and then so miss out on the fullness of, of life being offered. And we have some clues that there are other, other teachings floating around that are just that, something other than the cosmic enoughness of Jesus. A few of those clues come up in Colossians 2 that we heard read. In verse 4, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So there's a clue here. Why is the letter written? Because somebody is making some fine-sounding arguments. And we, we, we wonder, okay, so what are those? And it would be really nice if uh, Paul had stopped there and said, and those arguments are this, 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 and this, but he doesn't. It's sort of like listening to half of a phone conversation. You, you kind of don't know for sure. You got to start piecing this together. So we know there's fine-sounding arguments. And then a few verses later in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy or philosophies. So again, what is the hollow and deceptive thing that we need to avoid at all costs? It seems obvious that Paul would tell us, and he doesn't. He, he alludes to it. And so uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about what Colossians is pushing against. But here are our clues. Fine-sounding arguments, hollow and deceptive philosophy. We don't know exactly what that was, but we can imagine that Colossians was written in a time with a lot of competing ideas. Different religions, so you have Judaism and you have Hellenism sort of, you know, and, and, the, and the religions that come with it, but also the cultures uh, and so you uh, sort of a secular thing going on in different philosophies and different political ideologies. And so one of the other reasons we chose Colossians is, is we probably also can relate to that dynamic, where there are a lot of different competing ideas about how the world works, about what's wrong with the world, and what needs to be done to solve it. Now, you, you, you don't have to stretch to kind of get this. You can start up a conversation with anybody and have that conversation. I went to um, AutoZone a couple weeks ago, and I um, bought two windshield wipers, and I'd like to think of myself as smart enough to be able to put my own windshield wipers on my, my truck. Uh, and I can, but it you know there are different, like 16 different ways that's done, and it usually... I've done it before. I feel like I need to say that for, you know, for the man card. But um, I said, you know what, can you just put those on? Because this guy does this every day, right? But in the 10 minutes or less that it took to get the windshield wipers on my car, we went around the world. This gentleman told me what everything that he saw that was wrong with the world. Uh, he brought the church into the mix. He had brought politics into the mix. And I'm just standing there like, wow, that was a lot, uh, to get my windshield wipers put on. 
Maybe you can relate to that experience. It seems like everybody has a solution and everybody has a problem. And sometimes they go together, sometimes they don't. But it's, it, and it's usually a mix of a lot of different ideas. And that's the point. That's what's going on in Colossians, with the Colossians, we think. There are a lot of answers about what we probably should be worried about in the world. And some real conversation about where Jesus fit into the cosmic plethora of ideas and the spirit world and all, kind of all of it put together. And so uh, this is Paul's con concern that the Colossians would buy into a way of thinking that keeps them anxious, which I think we can also relate to. There's a problem out there. There's a sense of lack and, and something needs to be done. The world is a scary place and we don't know how to navigate it. There are challenges that are out there that are beyond our control and we should probably ultimately be worried. And I think this, rather than the particulars of what the hollow uh, and deceptive philosophy might be, I think this is the heart of it for Paul. I think Paul would say, no, don't live from that place of anxiety. There's nothing else that needs to be accomplished. There's no one else that needs to be appeased. It is better for us to face the challenges of the world that are real, but from this place of sufficiency, from this place of enoughness, from this ability to walk into the fullness of life that we find in Christ. And so he keeps bringing that up. We see it in verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. This sounds very similar to Colossians 1. We said this is the one in whom uh, all God's fullness was pleased to dwell. And then in verse 10, and in Christ, you have been brought to this fullness. This is the first time in the letter where it becomes explicit, becomes clear that we are drawn up into this thing as well, that this fullness has being, is being offered us. And so I think the concern is that there would be ways of thinking that keep us from walking into that, that there would be ways of talking about Jesus in the mix of all the world's ideas that would fall short of cosmic enoughness. And so Pastor Laura and I were working on some analogies of how to talk about this uh, today, especially as we introduce the idea of what some of those ideas might have been or, or how it, it might have played out. Uh, and it gets really complex. So we tried, we thought of like two ways of summarizing this, and then we'll come back next week and go a little deeper. But there are two ways, as we think about where Jesus fits in the mix of the world's ideas, that where we could maybe fall short or, or miss out like the Colossians did. And so the first one we're calling upselling Jesus. Now, I'm not a marketing professional, uh, so some of you might know these ideas better than I do. Uh, you may know what upselling is, but in case you don't, let's go to the place where you, you, know, you learn stuff like this, um, Urban Dictionary, it'll tell us. Uh, and this is what the, the, the entry from 2005, by the way, so this is, idea has been around a while. Upselling is the attempt to persuade a customer to purchase a more expensive item or to purchase additional items, and that's really important, so that the total cost will be higher. So here's the analogy, this, the sentence. Theater staffs have developed the technique of upselling or convincing patrons to buy larger sizes of popcorn and drink for a discount. And don't you hate that? Like when you go to the theater, you can buy the medium popcorn for $11.50, or you can buy the large one for $12. And you're like, why would I not spend $12? I mean, obviously, I'm going to spend $12 on popcorn because it took four cents to make, and now they're making 
$11.96 off of, of me, but I'm getting a discount. People try to upsell us all the time. You can put a book in your cart on Amazon, and guess what happens? You have all these suggestions of the books that you would also like. Why wouldn't I spend more, like twice as much money as I thought I was going to because there's something else that I need or you know, any kind of thing on Amazon. Or you might go to a car lot uh, and you, know, you say, I want to spend this money. Well, of course, what are they going to do? They're going to try to sell you a car that's more expensive than that. If they didn't, they wouldn't be a good car salesman. You go through the grocery line and you have your grocery cart full. But then right there, it's like you're running the gauntlet, right, of all the things. You could just add a, add a little bit more. And what, what's that going to hurt? The, the extra large Hershey bar, the chocolate bar. And, and by the way, that is like, you should put that on the list because it's awesome and you don't have to upsell. You can you just get, get that. But you ever try to go through that gauntlet with children? Right? Can I have, can I have, can I have, can I have? The idea is that there's something else that's needed. So upselling Jesus means Jesus is pretty much there, but we need to tack on a little bit more. That's one way of thinking about where Jesus fits into the mix of the world's teachings and philosophies. Jesus is, it gets us pretty much there. It's like saying you have a measuring cup. And as you pour Christ in, he gets us two-thirds of the way full. Now, you could argue that two-thirds of a cup of Jesus would go a long way, right? But Paul argues, no. Jesus is more like pouring the thing full, it hits the measure line, and then it keeps going. It just keeps overflowing and never stops. This is the image. You can't be fuller than full. So Paul is against the idea of upselling Jesus. He's against the idea of having Jesus and something else. And, and again, the motivation is I'm anxious, I'm worried, there's something lacking. And so I'm going to put Jesus in the mix and then I'm going to add something to it, even if Jesus gets us pretty much there. The, the point is, is, is clear throughout Colossians that Jesus is, is the fullness of God, the whole thing, the full picture. You can't have anything more. If you want to see the visible image of the invisible God, then look to Christ. He is it. No add-ons, attachments, or accessories are needed. He's full already, and his fullness is now our fullness. Upselling Jesus is the Jesus and approach. And it's something for us to consider because we, out of a sense of anxiety, like to hedge our bets as well. It's nice to have Jesus in the mix, and then it's nice to have something that goes along with it. But it's been said that it can never be Jesus and fill in the blank. Because what happens is the and reveals the thing that we feel is still lacking, and that, and that misses the point. In fact, when we have Jesus and, the and always takes over. I think that's Paul's concern that our ultimate hope is in Christ alone. And if you're coming at religion from a place of anxiety or lack, like you're going to tack something on to this Jesus thing, you have missed the point entirely. Now, you might think, well, Paul's saying the world is, a, is, is not a scary place and we should just look at things with rose-colored glasses. Like just, just you know, put a, put a positive spin on things. 
in that sort of idea, don't be anxious. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think, in fact, Paul is, as, as we'll see next week too, like naming that there are, there are cosmic forces of the world at work in the world that we don't understand. But the thing that we need to understand is that over every one of those forces is Christ. That we can operate out of a sense of trust even as we navigate the challenges ahead of us. And we can come to a non-anxious place a trusting place, a faith-filled place as the approach, as the way to tackle whatever problem is there. If somebody is trying to scare you, if somebody's trying to make you anxious, if somebody is trying to make you operate out of fear, then it is usually a Jesus and approach. And it takes us in the wrong direction. We said in week one that our a point of gathering on Sunday mornings is not so that we gather and say, welcome, we gather in the name of anxiety today. Come join the club. But there are plenty of of ways of thinking that will do that to you. And so when we say don't be anxious, we're not saying, oh, there's no problem to be anxious about. We're just saying anxiety is the wrong way to approach the problem. And same with fear. The same with the sense of lack. Paul wants us to tackle the world's problems from a place of abundance. And, and cosmic enoughness. Now, uh, a little bit of a, a sidebar here. Uh, we're going through all of Colossians, pretty much. So we're going to tackle all of it. And so, like, we got to name some things. And so Colossians 2 uh, starts t- all of a sudden talking, talking about circumcision. And as, as you heard the scripture read this morning, the way I felt it, it's like, oh, I'm tracking, I'm tracking. Whoa, what are, what's that about? And so briefly, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, Colossians mentions circumcision. Um, and again, the question is, where does Jesus fit into all the other things? And so Judaism and the practices of Judaism are part of that mix. Where does Jesus fit into that? And circumcision, this is the most important part, why it was brought up is that is the entry point, is the initiation right into ancient Israel and into budding Judaism at the time. And as we know in other places, Paul falls on the side of, of that not becoming an obstacle and actually no longer the entry point, the sign of God's covenant. But the body, the physical body of Jesus is that entry point. And again, so it's not upselling Jesus. It's not Jesus and circumcision. It's not Jesus and anything. Now, I think it's worth mentioning that Paul is not against Judaism. Paul is not ultimately against the practice of circumcision, so to speak. It's just that he's so convinced that Jesus is enough that it doesn't need to be Jesus and that. And truthfully, circumcision was probably the obstacle to most people entering into this engagement with with Christ. The message was, this is the thing you have to do before you get Jesus. There's there's some kind of uh, thing that's needed. Uh, and so it's really not one way or the other. In fact, that's what Galatians, uh, Galatians 5, 6 says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. That's Galatians 5, 6 from another letter. So what we hear there is what Colossians would say is Jesus is enough. There's no place for upselling Jesus. There's no, nothing else to accomplish. There's no one else to appease. There's not... Uh, a, a ritual that takes precedent before you can be included into the club. In fact, that baptism becomes that for us. Baptism is a way then not to just to, to do that act, but to live into the fuller story. And he'll talk about that. There's no need to upset, upsell Jesus. And so we might ask, how are we doing that? 
Where are we still living out of a sense that there's not quite enough? Where is our anxiety? Where are we motivated by anxiety and fear? Where are the challenges of our lives causing us to wonder if Christ is enough? Where are we tacking on different ways of thinking or philosophies or political ideologies that make it Jesus and rather than Jesus is enough? Now, uh, so we've talked about upselling Jesus. Let's go the other way. I think there's also some concern here that people might downsell Jesus. And this is kind of a fun way of thinking about this, but also something pretty real, I think, that we deal with. Paul knows that, that there, are, there are other philosophies out there. And there are, he's not arguing that there aren't other forces at play. And so the temptation might be to say, well, we're going to have Jesus, and, 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 but, but, but maybe, there's, maybe there's another approach. Jesus is in the mix with the lots of other things. So rather than tacking something onto Jesus, maybe we need something uh, that we kind of put together ourselves or maybe some kind of um, something that might be just as good as Jesus. And Paul is concerned that there is nothing just as good as Jesus Maybe you've been downsold as well. You've, someone has tried to sway you to buy something that is basically a cheap knockoff. Now, some of you, I'm not going to ask, some of you are happy to have the cheap knockoff purse or uh, the, the cheap knockoff thing because it's too expensive and that we don't want to pay the cost. So, uh, um, but mostly that doesn't work out for us. So we, the internet's a wonderful place. And so we found some things that looked like the real thing, but aren't to help us get what downselling Jesus might look like. So, for example, if you don't want Nike, you can get Mikey. I don't know what that is, but it can't. It's no. There's no way that's going to turn out well, right? Okay, let's keep going. Or uh, you say that's not the Revengers, but the, uh, the, the Avengers, but the Revengers, and instead of the Incredible Hulk, it's the Incredible Fella. Who thought that? Who thought anybody was going to be convinced by that? Okay, the next one. <clears throat> It's, it's not the Game Boy, it's a Game Child, which, you know, you know, we've passed that probably. But if you wanted to play a game on your Game Child, what game would you play? How about um, the next one? The, not the Angry Birds, but the Ill-Tempered, Ill-Tempered Birds. Cheap knockoff. And then this last one, which brings several things together. And again, the Internet's just a wonderful place. So you've got Lion King and... Star Wars together, that lion thing. And can you just say Chufasa with me? Chufasa. Chufasa. Isn't that? Okay, it sort of kills the point because I actually want one of those now, right? <laughs> Downselling Jesus. Uh, the point being that um, there's nothing, as Marvin Gaye said, there, there ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. Paul puts it this way. He says, Jesus of Jesus, he is the head over every power and authority. So he's not arguing that there aren't other options out there. He's just saying that none of them will fulfill the promise. None of them offer the fullness of life. They're all cheap knockoffs. Paul wants the Colossians and us to be able to stand firm in our commitment to follow Jesus, as he says, and not fall victim to a slick marketing strategy in which we buy into something less than the very fullness of God being made available to us. 
And so uh, that's the, the purpose. This is why we're writing, he writes the letter, for them to stick to their guns, to lean into this and not settle for okay and for not to, to not water it down in any way. In Colossians 2.6, we read, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And that literally means, uh, the, the phrase there is to walk. And, uh, you know, like we sometimes use this phrase, like this is your walk or you got to walk the walk. It, it, it's a, an all-encompassing term. And that's why they translate it to live your life. But it really means to walk into this. And, you know, when you're walking into it, there's a sense of motion, right? There's a sense of I'm going to walk into the week ahead. And whatever I face in the week ahead, I'm going to live from this place of sufficiency and enoughness rather than anxiety and lack. Walk has the idea of being all-encompassing. So this is your walk. And you, if you, you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk, we know that that's not fully it. And that, there again, we've said, it's one thing to, to say that Jesus is enough, but it's another thing to walk into that. And, and there's some grace in that because most of us will walk into it and then struggle to live from that place of sufficiency and abundance. And that's the point of the letter. Most of us are going to struggle to walk into this, but that is the call. So that we would be rooted and built up in him. So that we would strengthen in the faith as we're taught and be overflowing with thankfulness literally walking into gratitude and walking from that place of sufficiency. And so today, as we've done throughout the series, we're going to share in Holy Communion. This has been a choice that we made for this particular series because we felt like it would be important to come again and again to that place where we are reminded that Christ is enough, to come and to live into that story. And communion is that, that reminder when we say that. We do this in remembrance of what God has done in Christ, that that is enough and that we can face our lives and the weekend ahead from that place of the thing that's already been accomplished rather than a sense of fear or anxiety. And so we will share in Holy Communion uh, in just a moment. But the passage actually ends up uh, speaking about the other sacrament that is a reminder for us. It talks about baptism. Paul brings this up as a way to walk into and remember the fullness possible for us in Christ. He says in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you catch what happens there, how Paul makes the story of Jesus and the experience of Jesus, yet again, our experience. So as we read earlier, that fullness of life that Christ had is now being made available to us. And so Christ is not just another philosophy, but Christ is a person that we, we identify with, what we know, and his, his story is our story. And as he died and then was raised to life, so do we. It's, baptism is our way of joining that story. We say this about baptism uh, as part of our, our liturgy. Through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. So again, that initiation, that entry point is something that Christ has already done for us. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
and given new birth through water and the spirit, a recognition that we are dead and then made alive. And then we say, and this is God's gift offered to us without price. There's no one else to appease. There's nothing else to accomplish. It's important for that to be true, but it's also important for us to live like it is true. And so as you go today, uh, we have some bowls of water in, uh, at, the, at the doors, and you're invited to uh, just dip your fingers in the water. This is not getting baptized. This is a way of recognizing the power of the sacrament. If you have been baptized, to remember that and be thankful. And if you haven't been baptized, to think about what it would be like to be baptized and the importance of that story, that identification with Christ of being raised from death into the fullness of life. And that part's important, isn't it? We know this from Colossians. It's not just any kind of life. It's a different quality of life, the fullness of life, all of God's fullness. So as you go, we'll do communion and then I'll remind you. But as we go, you're invited to dip your fingers in the water. We also have some um, pebbles in there. And if you want to take one of those and, um, and carry it with you, if especially you need to remember uh, that, that Christ is enough for whatever you're facing, um, then, th- then you can do that as well. And we'll remind you as, as you go. That'll be our sending uh, today. But uh, communion, as we come to communion this morning, uh, it, it, the other reminder for us of the two sacraments in our church, uh, that uh, what has been needed, what, what, what was needed, has been accomplished in Christ. And so we're going to join in the liturgy on the screen and join in Holy Communion together so that we can walk into that and walk into the weekend, uh, week ahead from that place of cosmic enoughness. And so remember that Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, we'll confess our sin before God and one another. Let's join together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so we hear the good news. Christ is enough. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. It proves God's love toward us. This thing that we need, God has already taken into account. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And together we say, glory to God. Amen. Let's join in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to live from that place of gratitude as we give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church. You delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the very night in which Jesus 
gave himself up for us. He took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup again. He gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering to us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. I'll invite those who are serving to come forward as they prepare. Let's pray together. God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts and bread of bread and cup? Make them be for us an experience of the body and blood of Christ that we might be the body of Christ for the world poured out in the same way so that all God's fullness might be our lived experience that we might be those so blessed that we become a blessing, that we might be those who are drawn out of death and into the fullness of life and so be living reminders of Jesus in our weekly activities, in our interactions with one another, in our home life, in our work, in our business dealings, in our community here as a church. We gather in the name of of the one in whom all God's fullness was pleased to dwell. And in the name of the one who has offered that fullness to us. And so we come to receive this gift of grace and to give thanks. For we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Quick instructions, we have two sections here, two here and two here. And so you'll come out two by, I said this two last week, two by two. But essentially these two sections, will, you'll go out the right side and then come out the left and the same for these two and the same for these two. And as you come, if you have an offering, drop it in the basket and then come with your hands open to receive. The bread will be placed into your hands and then you'll take that bread and dip it into the cup and then receive it. And, um, and then you can go back to your seat to pray um, or um, here at the front still to pray. We also have some folks, uh, myself included, with oil to anoint you as a sign of God's claim on your life. And we've been anointing this series uh, in the words uh, of all the fullness of God. So uh, you'll be anointed for all God's fullness in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you need gluten-free elements, they'll be here at the front. So just as your line gets close, you can come to the front and get those. Would you come to receive the gift of grace that's been offered through Christ and all God's fullness being offered in it? And so would you come?